Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rainbow Road. I am your host, Travis Ryans, and joining us is not Mike, because he won't be here for this episode, unfortunately. Uh, I am, I'm a little outnumbered today. <laughs> so we're going to be uh, introducing our first guest, which is, once again, producer Matt Kinnar. Matt, thank you for joining us. Hi, I've got some big shoes to fill with Mike, but I'm ready to stuff some Kleenex in front of my feet and walk a mile. <laughs> okay, copy that. Uh, our first guest for today is Ashley Cooper. Ashley, how you doing? I'm concerned because nobody told me that there would be exercise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are our fifth Beatles, so we had to get you running on this one. We just had to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited. Uh, and our second guest is Kaya. Kaya Green, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been working out for weeks and I'm still unprepared. <laughs> None of us are as swole as Abby. Yeah. Uh, no one will ever be as swole or as awesome as Abby. <laughs> Truly. Okay, well, Abby, that's true because we are talking about The Last of Us Part 2. The Last of Us Part Two was released in 2020, seven years after the original. The game had been delayed, and reports swirled about the brutal crunch the developers had been subjected to. The game also had its first hours leaked online, weeks ahead of its release, causing massive controversy. The controversy would continue after the game's release, with some going so far as to send death threats to the developers and even the game's performers. Any valid or interesting critiques of the game's story were completely washed out with the misogynist and transphobic hate that spewed from the community for months after its release, which is one of the reasons we've been waiting to talk about this game on the show. And despite all this, the game has received widespread acclaim and awards, sold 4 million copies in its first three days, and is the fastest selling PS4 exclusive in history. So, this game left people with some feelings <laughs> all across the board. A lot of it comes down to those first couple hours that were leaked, and I feel like how you feel about the beginning sort of sets the tone of how you're going to feel about the rest of the game. So let's talk about that. Spoilers abound. We are going to jump into the story. If you haven't played it yet, sorry for you. Abby kills Joel. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> no warning going into that. Uh, Kaya, how do you feel about that moment? Honestly, I uh, obviously it was uh, terrible to watch as somebody who played the first game and loved Joel and Ellie as characters but like from a story perspective um I know a lot of the complaint is that Joel deserved a hero's death and I can't help but disagree so strongly with that position mm -hmm. as much as I love Joel as a character that was the death he needed to have he was a bad man who did bad things and yes he was redeemed but like the whole point of the story is that your actions have consequences and for it to start with such a stark consequence from the first game, I think was absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, not only is it in fact the death that Joel deserves, I would argue that there is no such thing as a hero's death in the world of the last of us. A hundred percent. The world yep. of the last of us is a brutal, vicious, unforgiving apocalypse. He, there's no version of events where he goes out in some heroic blaze of glory. That's not the world we live in when we go to the last of us. Completely agree. And I feel like that, like so much of the controversy started from the fact that and I don't want to make it all about the controversy, but it started from the fact that people wanted better for Joel. But you want better for all of these characters. That's the point of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're never going to get it. And that's why we are involved in this story is because it's, it, it, as you say, Ashley, that's exactly what it is. And I think having the death be fully, fully about his actions from the first game is what you need to make the plot of this game a, a sequel. Otherwise, it's just disconnected. If this was a death that came from saving Ellie from a, a gang of interlopers, it doesn't reflect on the narrative arc of the first story that they put so much time into. Yeah, it would have felt empty. Yeah, and like I think it, we have a culture of always wanting more, but it can really, really bloat stories. And I really respect that Naughty Dog understood that Joel's story was done. Yeah. He was as redeemed as he was ever going to be, and his story was absolutely 100% finished. I had that fear when it was when Last of Us 2 was announced. I was very much like, I don't know what more you say with those characters. And Neil Druckmann was like, yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I remember when one of the early trailers dropped, Travis, you had speculated about Joel being a ghost in the story. And I think in in a weird way, that did come to fruition. I think you feel Joel's influence in so many of Ellie's actions. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that came up while we were playing, though, was, um, Matt, you had said, basically, as we shifted from Joel to Ellie, and we looked at Ellie's story and the rage and the anger that she felt at wanting to avenge Joel wasn't really a story meant for you, is what you had said. It was a story for people who had loved Joel and agreed with him in the first game. And I remember you were actually quite turned off by this game about halfway through, and you were kind of ready to call it quits because you felt they weren't speaking to you. They were speaking to other people. Like, can you elaborate on that a little more? Yeah. uh, Speaking of um, fear at the announcement of the last of us two, I love the ending of the first game so much and it thrives so much on ambiguity that I was really worried they were going to pick a lane too early um, about whether Ellie believes him about how Ellie feels about his decision, that kind of thing. And seeing her take on, so many of Joel's traits and spending so much of the game defending Joel's honor and his legacy, I was a little like, okay, this would be easier to get into if I was more mixed on Joel's morality at the end of the game. But no, I I thought he was a dick full stop. I, I love the story. It's a great anti-hero story, but I don't have the same sort of moral gray area feeling that a lot of people do. I have very solid established feelings on Joel. But I think... By the end of the game, they have done a good job building out Ellie's character and really making you understand why this was happening, what's going on in her psyche to do that, uh, and building the game so that anyone can see that, depend- no matter where they're coming from, uh, morality-wise. Yeah. Kaya and Ashley, how did you guys feel about what the game does with Ellie's character? Like, do you feel like this was a natural evolution? Do you feel like it was contrived for the story? Uh, what, do, what do you think? So st- starting with Ashley. At the, at the very beginning, Abby kills Joel in front of Ellie. And because Ellie is our eyes at this point for the game, I hated Abby immediately. I just had like this visceral emotional reaction of like, oh, no, you killed my dude. Now we have to kill you. (laughs) Like (laughs) I was in Ellie's shoes the whole way. But then the longer the game went on and the more vicious Ellie became in her pursuit, the more I was like, Joel was not a good guy. You know this. If, If only you knew what he did, you would understand what happened to him. Somebody has to be able to tell you what happened so that you can let go of this. And then she finds out and she has that emotional standoff with Joel where it's all laid bare and she finds out what happened at the end of the last game. And I was like, what is she doing? Mm -hmm. How could she possibly be doing this if she knows what he's done? And I, I was I had this real I was having a really hard time connecting her understanding of the world around her with this this just visceral anger that because I was playing through the game as I think everybody was understanding her grief and her anger as you took Joel from me Mm -hmm. we find out in the closing moments of the game it's that forgiveness and catharsis and the ability to move on was taken from her mm-hmm. because she and Joel's relationship was fractured and her last memory of him is sitting on a porch saying that maybe tomorrow will be better. Maybe we can try again. And that tomorrow never gets to come. It's it's taken from her. And at that point, I was like, fuck, like I was like, then it all came together. And I was like, fuck, this is genuinely masterful emotional storytelling. I, I completely agree. I just I, I also wonder if that moment comes too late in the story. I understand that they need that moment. So we understand why she doesn't kill Abby. I understand why it comes where it does. But at the same time, it became such a slog. When I returned to Ellie at the end of the game uh, in Santa Barbara, I was like, no, I I don't want to play as Ellie anymore. I don't want to play as what she's become. 
I don't want to watch her go w- walk down this path. That and was the most compelling thing in the game for me, actually. I completely really? agree with that. Yeah. Really? I, not, not, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I am agreeing with you and also saying that I found that experience unbelievably compelling because how often have you ever had that experience in a video game? Yeah. So often narrative video games are these power fantasies of like, ooh, you're Nathan Drake and you're quippy and you kill 500 people and never question it and like all these other things. But the game just makes you sit in it and they're like knowing everything that you know now you have to walk in Ellie's shoes and take her to the end of this journey. And you're like, I don't want to. I want better things for her. I can't believe she fucking left her family to continue on this journey. And I w- it's such a mess of emotions and it's so human. And I was just so fascinated by it because emotionally it's so much more ambitious than the majority of AAA games ever attempt at being. Well, Kaya, how did you feel about it? I literally could not agree with Ashley more. It's physically not possible for me to agree with (laughs) Ashley more. First of all, this world is a world that doesn't have emotional intelligence. Like some people do naturally, but it's not taught. What Ellie is dealing with is a grief. She doesn't have the tools to access and she accesses it by violence. That's the only way she knows how to deal with her grief because it's the only way she's really been taught to deal with anything, right? But I completely agree in that the the turn coming that late in the story makes you sit in the discomfort of being Ellie when normally video games just let you ignore that. And that's fine if what you're going in for is just uh, a fun power trip, entertaining experience. But th- that's not what Last of Us is. It's never been what Last of Us is about. Last of Us is an uncomfortable world. And I'm really, really impressed, even when it was difficult and even when it was not 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 even fun necessarily that the game lets you sit in that discomfort and think about the realities of what you have done as a character what you're what the person you love has done because people lose themselves in grief that is a very very real thing that happens and i find it really weirdly comforting that someone was willing to talk about that mm-hmm. I think the fact that that um, absolution of her anger and violence comes late in the story is important because I think they made a conscious choice not to let you break that tension earlier because you have to like they did such an such an excellent, eloquent job of taking the person you loved the most. And by the time Abby and, and Ellie face off, you want Ellie to lose. You genuinely do. And that is so hard to do in a story is make the person that you followed the whole time the person you want to lose for their own sake. It it was so crucial to the story that you understand that your hero can be a villain to someone else. I like where that went. And I, I felt a lot of that in the farmhouse in those sections. To me, though, Santa Barbara stopped feeling like that because it started feeling like a video game again. Yeah, honestly. I lost the track of the story a bit because we bounced to Abby and then back to Ellie. I I lost that sense of character through line. I think if we had stuck with Ellie's journey after coming back to her, go from the farmhouse to Ellie in Santa Barbara, and only when she finds Abby do we flash back and see what Abby's been through, I would have been able to connect with Ellie a bit more in that and write her actions off a little less. I think it would have become a bit more of an RPG uh, playing through as Ellie. I totally understand what you're saying. And I would uh, wholeheartedly agree that Santa Barbara is sort of the most awkward part of the story. Uh, Definitely like feels like a bump before you get there. Like it's not a smooth transition. And that was like, the, the story isn't perfect despite how much I love it. And I'd say that's, that's one of the biggest critiques with that said, I think, Uh, What's interesting from a storytelling perspective here is that there's often sort of an adage in uh, writing characters that characters are not just what they think of themselves, they're what they do, what they uh, consider themselves to be, what they want to be, and also how other people see them. And I feel like Ellie's story is just as informed by how Abby sees her as what she does and who she believes herself to be. Um, so to me, even Abby's section of the story is still Ellie's story, if that makes sense. Interesting. I think for me, um, what made it difficult was that I didn't buy this version of Ellie without that scene. 
I I got maybe it was too meta. Maybe I'm thinking too much about the story, but. During the sort of last day of Ellie's adventures in Seattle, I really started to grow disillusioned, which I, I know the developers wanted me to, to, but to a point where I was like, I don't believe this is the same Ellie that I played the first game with. I, I don't see how she got from, from point A to point B, and it's taking me out of the story because I don't believe it. And without that piece, I didn't have the connective tissue, and I, I, I felt very separated. And I then enjoyed myself going through Abby's story. And I think it's it's coupled with gameplay things, and it's coupled with, like... A lot of The Last of Us 2 is about understanding that everyone is a hero and everyone is a villain and that no community is free from its evils. You know, whether that's uh, the community in Jackson, whether that's the Fireflies, whether that's the Wolves, the Seraphites, any of them, they are all good. They are all bad. They all have their own stories. And then we're introduced to the Rattlers in the last hour of the game who are pure evil. We see no goodness in them and are just randomly thrown in as story antagonists for us to defeat. And we're not given any redeeming qualities about them, and it's just another obstacle to get to the story. And it felt really tedious and kind of out of nowhere. And it was just like, I don't understand how you can have a game that's so beautifully crafted for so long about, you know, trying to understand and not otherize people and not villainize them. And then you stick us with the Rattlers at the end. <laughs> like, Whereas I actually, I I liked the challenge of the Rattlers from a narrative perspective that like what, what this game has been telling you all this time is that people have reasons for what they do. Everyone has an internal life. So to stick you with characters so outwardly evil as the Rattlers felt like the game poking you and saying... This is what we mean. Just because we're not going to show you their internal life doesn't mean they have one, and you have to live with that and make your decisions around that. That's how I felt about it, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Rattlers are definitely a device, but like <laughs> to me, I could I could impose the knowledge of the story on them. Um, and honestly, I think I personally excuse it because I love the finale so much, and it makes me so emotional every time that I'm like, yeah, guys, whatever you needed to do get, to get there, I support it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's Whatever totally got fair. us to water fight, I'm fine. <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like I, I dislike the game. I absolutely adore it. And uh, Matt and I have had many, many deep, angry conversations with each other about it. Not um, angry with each other, but angry... No, 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 no. Perceiving the game. Mm -hmm. We see such different things in it. Super fair. I, I do want to throw out one thing just on the on the subject of that, like, uh, the that third act, the Rattlers Act, and how you, like... Ellie is so unlikable by that point that it's very, very hard to get into where she is. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I really liked about that is I feel like that's how Ellie feels about herself. That's why I could stomach it mm -hmm. is because I feel like by that point, Ellie has no respect for herself. And I feel like people really do go through these points of their life where they see themselves become monsters and they just can't stop even if they know what they're doing is wrong. Like she left her family. She, she has to be feeling the same way we were feeling about her at that point. And you really see that come to a head at the end. So I feel like it was important to me that I didn't like her in that moment because I don't think she liked her either yeah. i think what it comes back to for me is a point that you made kaya about uh characters being in part informed by how other people see them having ellie so alone for the last stretch of the game was a, an interesting choice that i think in some world would have been great but because she was alone i didn't feel like i was getting to see her character I didn't get to see her wrestle with that. I didn't get to see her trying to justify her actions, both to someone else and to herself. And so I, I kind of lost her character in the game of it all. Hmm. I guess that's true. Yeah, I, we get to see her with Jesse. We get to see her with Dina. And that gives us a sounding board to sort of create a foil um, against her. And in that moment, we don't have that. And it's just that you and the player. Although, again, that may be better for you to just sit in that, as you guys said. Do you guys feel like the game is trying to guilt you for Ellie's actions? Do you feel like it is trying to impart a, a certain amount of culpability and responsibility on you as the player in this situation? Or um, Because I know a lot of people felt this way about like Spec Ops The Line, for instance, because the game absolutely was trying to guilt you. And I, I think that that's honestly the strongest point. But is the same thing happening here in Last of Us Part 2? Um, Ashley, what do you think? I think there's a little bit of it. I don't think it's as overt as the people that didn't like it make it out to be. A lot of people, I think, uh, I saw the word like manipulative thrown around a lot. 
uh, and I strongly disagree with that. But I did find that there was a really visceral level of uncomfort in combat specifically. It was so far beyond what we had in the first game where you're uncomfortable just because of how vicious it is. But in this one, I'm sure it's not lost on anybody here. It, when you're fight, when you're sneaking around groups of human characters, if they find a body, that body's got a name. Mm hmm. And I thought that was great. Me too. Because going back to like going back to like the Nathan Drake example, like it's literally just hordes of of nameless, faceless, SWAT adjacent whatevers, right? Like they're not people; they're punching bags, basically. And this, it was like, no, like literally, these are lives that you're taking. The, these people around here, they're not coworkers; they're friends. They know that guy; he's dead now. Like. And it made me at a point uh, reevaluate how to tackle certain areas in the game because I, I I wanted to try to avoid engaging if I could, because as fun and enjoyable and tight mechanically as the combat is, I was trying my best to not participate in that. And I thought that was a fascinating decision to make. They've definitely attempted this in other games. The Division is a game infamous for failing at this. <laughs> uh, in the first game, there is a uh, an enemy bark that's like, oh, no, they got Ryan or something like that, except that's the only version of it. <laughs> so through oh, your God, time no. with the no. game, you, you just kill 10,000 Ryans? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so, like, so funny I, I understand the idea but like they fa they just they fell on their face in the execution whereas i found this did it so unbelievably well what i remember the first time i played it in the first sequence with dogs i accidentally molotov cocktailed a dog <gasps> oh Ooh. And it was the first and only time I ever used a Molotov cocktail when there were dogs around. <laughs> oh, my God. And the fact that the game elicited these kind of emotional responses from me with their combat mechanics is absolutely unheard of for me. Yeah, because in the game, every NPC is somebody else's Joel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just like uh, I wh when I really noticed it is whenever you were like stealthily choking someone to death, they made a point of of you being able to see their face. Yeah. Like, especially with Abby's animation, but even with Ellie's, like there was no point where you were quietly murdering someone where you couldn't see the look of agony on their face. And I was like, wow, this is a lot to do to me. But there's no, there's no quick stylish kills. They make you feel every single one. And they should. That's like, I, I think in the context of this world, that makes perfect sense and like is a storytelling element of its of its own. But yeah, I think like to have such such detail and how evocative everything was. Uh, I yeah. Uh. So <laughs> the criticism that I see Kia keep seeing coming up, and again, I have my own thoughts on this. I'm 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 basically playing devil's advocate to make sure that we have enough of a show here. But um, <laughs> the criticism I, I I keep seeing come up is that. Uh, why should I be punished or guilted for decisions that the characters are making or that the developers are forcing you to make? Why should I be made to feel guilt for killing Alice the dog when I was given no choice? Okay, I got to get in on this for a second because this is an absurd argument. Like, why why should mm -hmm. I feel guilty for Walter White's actions watching Breaking Bad? Because you came here for an emotional ride. That's why. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the fact that you're in the character's shoes only makes it more poignant. Like, stop taking it so personally it would which would be my argument which is a real like you're you're being a snowflake argument which is really weird that it's coming out of my mouth <laughs> but i also think that like it is uh, not to get bigger and political here but it is it is very endemic of the kind of world that we're living in that any idea of criticism or any like anything that's challenging is considered a personal affront and the thought that people considered ellie's journey to be a personal affront to them to me seems like a little self-indulgent yeah well one thing i would also challenge people that have that kind of criticism of it is like who's making you feel anything yeah you're feeling you're feeling guilty 
because the game is doing an exceptional job of its emotional storytelling and you are not a sociopath. That's all this proves. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. good you feel guilty about this. Revel in that. Do you guys feel like the game did a, a decent job of trying to allow for different play styles? Totally. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, at least in terms of the limitations that the first game had. I don't think I don't think gameplay wise it burst open this whole new style of gameplay. Like I think it is very much steeped in the gameplay elements that were established in the first game. So you can be stealthy or you can kind of go, you know, all in guns a blazing sort of thing. But I definitely have found like I was so into the game. I was so emotionally invested into the game that I kind of tried to role play my characters while I was playing them and would it, I would tackle certain situations based on where I thought they were emotionally and how they would handle it. Awesome. And so like there would be sequences where, you know, there would be like a really long sequence with Ellie where there would be a few people here and there and she'd be coming off of like this really angry emotional high from like a previous cutscene, And then I would just go in there and start firing and make sure they knew I was coming so that they were afraid when they died. And then I would get into the next sequence and there would be like seven guys in a building and Ellie would be like, this is too many for me. I need to sneak around. And I would like, I know this is like a complete other level that most people don't, play with like I'm not saying that like this is like a normal playthrough style at all <laughs> but I always found that whatever I was trying to do I could do it if I tried hard enough mm -hmm. that's interesting because I, I think from what I've seen of other people playing it both uh, Travis his old roommate that kind of stuff people so quickly fall into a style of play uh, in terms of looting in terms of how they approach enemies and level layouts that I think it's a little too easy to fall into a routine that I don't think helps the role-playing. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I think, actually, I would also like to throw out that I feel like Abby changes that because I Ooh, noticed, because I, I know for me, personally, I'm a stealth player. I love playing stealth, um, mainly because I'm afraid of uh, conflict. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I also just, like, I, that's how I think. Like, I think more in the, like, s sneaking around. Like, I'm not great at the... the firing at people strategies um whatever you would call those mm -hmm. um <laughs> so when i got to abby and her stealth wasn't nearly as good as ellie's she didn't have a, a shiv so you couldn't stealth up on clickers as effectively like i found that really interesting because i was forced to change my tactics to abby's sort of more you know uh, tank-ish kind of abilities i think in some ways the game focused almost too much on this duality that like I would have liked to see a bit more of that change in playstyle come from Ellie, like having your playstyle evolve as she gets more and more angry what she's facing, rather than just the immediate flip. But that that's just coming from me. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Well, we wouldn't be Rainbow Road unless we talked about the queerness, the queerness yes. of it all. Yay! So. This is a AAA game with a lesbian protagonist, and there was no dancing about about it like they did in the first game and having to shove it to the DLC. It is front and center. Yay. So mm -hmm. how did we feel about this? Uh, how do we feel that they handled Ellie's relationship with Dina? Um, let's start with you, Ashley. What did you think? I thought it was pretty remarkable. I Every second that I spent playing that game, I was fully aware of the fact that like it literally has a place in queer history. Mm -hmm. Like, can you, I, I'm pretty sure like historically speaking, it is the first triple a video game with a canonically queer character. Like you could argue for things like mass effect and dragon age and stuff like that. But those are RPGs where you make that happen. I don't think there's ever been a queer protagonist in a big studio game like this before. And I just, Wow. The level of like almost like the mundane nature that it is handled with is so refreshing, with the exception of the one guy who's a dick that everybody understands is a dick and brushes off like it's not we're not living in this like 
overtly oppressive world where she's like hiding it and like sneaking smooches with Dina later or whatever. Like they're just gay and that's cool. Dina gets to be like openly and, and proudly by like I was just like, holy shit that I am playing this game right now. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it. But now that you mentioned that Dina was openly and proudly by, I'm like, oh, yeah, no one for a second asked her to choose nor did they ask her to clarify and i think that is so wonderful mm -hmm. well like even jesse right like even jesse who's dina's ex is just like oh wow okay we're broken up for for a couple weeks and now you're stepping in on my girl like no, like just giving ellie shit about it like you would give any friend shit about it like there's no like wait i didn't know dean was into girls or like any of that dumb after school special very special episode bullshit like it was there just was no masculine insecurity yeah, yeah. it was so it was so refreshing yeah because jesse comes to save both of them right like mm -hmm. jesse does not feel burned about this he's still willing to work with them and then when they run off he comes to save their ass and there is no like you stole my woman from me you changed her there's none of that he still cares about dina he still cares about ellie he wants the best for them and it's beautiful <laughs> like it's yeah it's so yeah. good genuinely genuinely beautiful completely agree and honestly like the thing that i like so much about the queerness in this game is it feels like the queerness i've experienced in that uh it just is so normal Mm -hmm. When what is something that everybody's so hot? Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> my life. I can't speak for you. Ow! <laughs> no, I mean, like I one thing that you miss so much in queer media because it's so like so uh, steeped in trying to communicate queerness is that queerness when you are queer is every day. It's just normal, and like mm -hmm. especially in this world, there's bigger things to worry about, man. <laughs> there's freaking zombies and stuff like if if your biggest concern is two girls kissing you haven't been around for the last 30 years <laughs> like dude which is what i find really interesting about the bigot in jackson because it's this idea almost that like bigotry is a luxury we've been able to afford mm -hmm. the idea that once you get comfortable then you can afford to ex exclude people then it's like this privilege you have of being able to exclude people of being able to say like oh this is a family establishment we don't want want you here like that kind of thing because you don't need them to survive exactly yeah, exactly that's such an interesting angle that i'd never even considered before i really like that mm -hmm. yeah i i really like it. Uh, my one critique of the the queerness is just the same critique i always have for queerness which is i wanted more Agreed. I, I missed <laughs> dina after she kind of got sidelined i mean it's not like she doesn't play a really important role when we come back to the farmhouse though like she is still her own character. She's important for wanting Ellie to heal, but also wanting Ellie to be better. She expects Ellie to be better. Like she will protect her against Tommy, but at the same time, she will demand that Ellie step the fuck up and try to be a better person. And like, I, I love that moment of Ellie going to Tommy and like, you don't bring this shit into my house. We're done with this. We are not doing this anymore. You don't put this on her. But then when Ellie leaves, Dina leaves. And I I like that. I, I realize that Dina falls into an unfortunate trope of as soon as she becomes pregnant, she's useless to the team. I, I get that. But I also like how important she is to Ellie's story continuing on, though. I would also argue, I think Dina actually stays pretty capable throughout the entire game. Like, yes, she, she has to fall out of the physical action. I think they were going to find a reason to do that either way. But I like that she's still back at the theater providing information like when you go back to the theater she has stuff for you yeah you know that's true and she's the reason you can keep pushing the story forward like i kind of really liked that throughout the story dina never became the person you save she never became the princess in the tower she was always capable in her own right right up till the end yeah i think i just wanted to see her banter with ellie more i think what she was able to bring out of Ellie was the most interesting part of Ellie for me. That's super fair. I get that. Yeah. I would I would agree with that for sure. They're they're they had such a wonderful chemistry together. Oh god, and the the moments in the synagogue where we get to like really go into her character and questions about the apocalypse. Like that they could fill a whole game with just walking around like that and focusing on the dialogue and I play it. Totally. Agreed. And I think it's worth noting uh, for people who don't know, I, I think it's really important that the developers had to 
take special care to make sure that you did not have access to Molotovs at this point in the game to make sure that you could not set fire to a synagogue. Mm-hmm. And it's disgusting that wow. they even needed to think about that. Wow. That that was a thought in their mind. Okay, but, that's fucking horrifying. But, but when you look at reception to the game, clearly they did have to think about that. Clearly yeah. there's a problem. Yeah, I, I do have to bring this up. So I went onto the Last of Us 2 subreddit today to see how do people feel about the game, you know, eight months later. Oh, and that was a mistake. Not only yeah. are they so angry, they're so misogynist and so anti-Semitic towards Neil Druckmann specifically. Like, oh. It's just a gross. Like it's such. I don't know. I I I got nothing for this. It's. I, I just feel like it needed to be pointed out. That might be part of why one thing that I just love so much about this game is that it comes at such a time of, not to use the buzzword, but division. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, sorry, we hear it every day, I used but it like, it it it's true though. It we are currently living through a time where anyone who disagrees with you becomes your enemy so fast and you find reasons to turn people into your enemy for no reason because we live in a culture of making opposition. And so like the reaction to the game to me only further proves how good the game is and how necessary it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think my favorite part of that too was Lev's story because by, by the time you get far enough into Abby's section, you, you understand that theme. They're talking about factionalism. They're talking about these intercommunity wars and how revenge and these longstanding bigotries are bad. But then they, they bring in Lev and say, yeah, sometimes communities are wrong. It's okay to hate someone else for something they've done to you, as long as that doesn't take over. As long as you aren't putting your own happiness on the line to try and get revenge. And I think Lev was such a beautiful character because he was so good at living in gray areas yeah like he he came from a world that expressly dehumanized him and he could still take the good from that and keep going Mm -hmm. and i think to me that is such a uniquely trans storyline of having to look at your life and living in a world that isn't made for you and still take the good out of that yeah choosing what of your identity is worth keeping when you change yeah yeah absolutely and i think that's a very true uh life for so many people of being like, well, I was raised in Catholicism or I was raised in like a world that didn't, that didn't want me and I can still have love for it without having less love for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, let, let's dive into Lev's character. This is a great time to do it. I mean, I, as the only cis person on this podcast right now, I'm not going to say too much about it, but... Um, we needed you for diversity, Travis. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, the token, token cis. <laughs> we, we just, we wanted to hear your voice, you know? Sweet dulcet tones. Um, I, I did want to say that I just, I really loved that, um, like, as much as Abby is helping Lev for so much of the story, Lev still helps Abby. It's this idea of, not to just to deprogram her, but also helps her with her fear of heights and her idea of... Not faith in the spiritual sense, but faith in the optimism sense yeah. of believing in the betterness of people. Yeah. And I really loved that. That It wasn't just about a, a trans-suffering character who needed to be saved and needed to be helped. He helps Abby become a better person, which I think is just so great. And like... It could almost be this really shitty green book story, but it's not because of how well it's done. <laughs> like, yeah, I completely It's not agree. about this minority having to save you and become a better person. It's about two people becoming better through each other. Like, I, I just, I loved it. There's so much give and take with them, mm-hmm. I find. Yeah. What I find so interesting, because obviously the game has some pacing problems and Travis and I have been nonstop, like, brainstorming what we would have done differently, how we would have changed things within the story to sort of smooth it out a bit more. And... As much as I feel like Abby's section can run slow at times, I can't cut Lev's story down. No, not a second. Because it's such a perfect foil to Abby. This idea of like him going back to try and save his mother from the Seraphites. It's so opposite of everyone else's goal in the story. He is so trying to keep people alive, to make things better, to channel his optimism. And while the story still somewhat punishes him for it, he's able to look at that lesson and take the right lesson from it. Not don't save people, but know who can be saved. There's a great saying, I can't remember where it comes from. It feels like it's probably German. Because <laughs> uh, there are, aren't they always? Because why not? Um, <laughs> the same boiled water that softens the potato hardens the egg. 
Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Ooh, and it's like stuff. the same horrible circumstances that both Abby and Lev lived through shaped them in such fundamentally different ways. Mm-hmm. And I love that about their dynamic. Oh, that's so cool. I was very genuinely afraid to play this game when it came out because of a tweet that I saw that was like yep. went very viral. Same. Uh, that I'm extremely angry at. It was basically uh, content warning, Last of Us 2 features dead naming, assault of a trans person. Like, it basically was just completely lacking in context, listing all of the bad things that happened to Lev Mm -hmm. and was making it seem like this was like a hideously transphobic game. And I was like, ah, fuck, man. Like, I really want to play this. Like, I'm... Ah, that fuck. Like, of course, of course, there's a trans character in this game and they fuck it up. uh, But I I can't not play it. It's the sequel to one of my favorite games of all time. I'm just going to have to go in and see what happens. And maybe I don't end up finishing the game. Who knows? I played the entire game every step of the way, waiting for the things that they were talking about to happen. Right. And then I, the credits rolled and I had to go back and basically recontextualize moments and go, Oh, that's what they were talking. Yeah. About. They were just sounding an <laughs> alarm when there was no threat. And I'm like mm-hmm. the number of people that I saw in response to that tweet going, well, I guess I never play this frustrates the hell out of me because again, going back to its historic significance, this is one of the very few gigantic game of the year level triple a best-selling titles to have a trans character in a large supporting role and a bunch of people are going to miss out on that representation because somebody else fear-mongered the shit out of them with a tweet and that bugs me man (laughs) yeah that sucks i remember asking uh someone i know who had played the game early about the trans character and i was like is the transness like the core of their problem is that are they suffering because they're trans and the person was like yes yeah yes but play it please (laughs) play it yes but play it it's not it's not that kind of trans suffering it's not this character is trans and so they suffer. It's this character was trans in the wrong place at the wrong time. And by the end of it has escaped that. And that's it, right? Like people want genuine representation and I understand and share that desire, but you can't also hope for queer characters to exist in a genre and then also have them not interact with that genre. Yeah. Cause who in this game doesn't suffer? This is a post-apocalyptic horror game where terrible things happen to everybody. If Lev walked through this thing on a cloud and ended up completely unscathed by the end, it would feel so disingenuous and so handholdy and so condescending that people would complain for that reason. Yeah. yeah, I would also say that they saved us from Lev's trauma as much as they possibly could given this genre in that we didn't have to watch his mom turn on him. Mm-hmm. Like, they very yeah. easily could have included that scene. It would have been so simple for us to watch that happen. Yeah. And that, for me, would have been too far. I would have struggled so much with that. Mm-hmm. But they were clever enough to show us the aftermath of it. And that's, and again, in about... Doing so, and in doing so, in framing it in that way... It's exclusively about Lev's experience of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, the whole exactly. story, his entire story is framed from his perspective and his narrative with one exception. And I haven't figured out how I feel about it, even after recently playing it for the second time. And that's how much of his backstory we get through a conversation with Yara and Abby where he is not present. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. It's not a bad conversation. It's not like they're like, oh, this is where we drop the ball and we fuck up how we talk about him. It's just that, I mean, he he was clearly not having that conversation with Abby as it is. So it, it feels maybe a little harsh to say it robs him of that opportunity. But it's, it's the one time where we are told about Lev's experience instead of getting Lev's experience. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like it does kind of come with that question of what do you serve more, the politics, uh, which are, uh, of course, important, and the character. Because there's no way Le- on earth Lev would have that conversation. 
which do you sacrifice Yeah, sort of in that circumstance? And I'm not saying there's a right answer to that. There isn't. It's just a difficult decision to have to make. That comes after the original dead naming conversation with Abby, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. I think that's why I didn't have an issue with it because they had already established that Lev as a character specifically is not comfortable talking about this most of the time and tries to skate around it. So it's not trans people don't want to talk about this. It's Lev doesn't want to talk about this to Abby. That's fair. Yeah, and I, I would say as as somebody who has had their partner had a, have a lot of pronoun conversations that I just truly didn't want to have, I've like, I think there's maybe some merit in like, hey, as somebody's ally, maybe you have the conversation that they aren't willing to have to keep them safer, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I know my partner's done that for me a number of times, and I appreciate it. Yeah. But then again, I will also say that with a disclaimer, don't do it for people without asking (laughs) without knowing that Mm -hmm, that's something that they a conversation you want to have that's just a general disclaimer i do love that moment right after the dead naming uh moment with the villains or the seraphite saying you know uh lev's dead name him asking abby did you hear what they called me yeah do you want to ask me about it do you want me to ask you about it no okay Ian's performance there, like the discomfort in his voice of feeling like he owes her an explanation and needs to give her the opportunity to ask, uh, just is so good. And I love, again, Laura Bailey's performance coming a moment afterwards, just saying, do you want me to ask you about it? Mm. No. And then them just moving on. And that's, that's it. That's the end of it. And like both of their performances there, Ian's and Laura's are just so good. Like I love that moment between the two of them. Completely agree. cried. (laughs) Yeah. And that line that line too of um do you want to ask me about it? That that line is what I point to when people ask why cis actors shouldn't play trans roles because there's no way you're getting a cis actor to understand the layers of that line like a trans person does. There's mm-hmm. like 10 layers just simmering underneath the surface of that. Exactly. And he plays them all so well. We stand. Oh my god, that interaction <laughs> yeah. was so wonderful and so easy to miss, but just like like, I had to go back and listen to it again because mm-hmm. I wanted, of course, every detail of it because uh, I'm thirsty. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Thirsty for that trans rep? I'm thirsty for that trans rep. Give it to me. Um, but I was just like, I, as much as I am not an advocate for dead naming in things, I think there are ways that, like, if you are careful and notably if you are including trans people in it, mm-hmm. that you can address that. And I think this this is one of the best, if not the best version of that I have ever seen. And the fact that Abby continues to not ask about it after that point and never makes a thing out of it is so great. Mm-hmm. What hit me the most in this entire game and made me cry was that beat after Yara is killed by Isaac, I think his name is, mm-hmm. and they're running away and Lev is looking in horror at Abby and says, that was your people. And she goes, no, you are my people. And I was just like, uh. I sobbed like a baby. So much. Like, is there a more no. queer statement than you are my people? Truly. Like, I genuinely don't think there is. It's the way it's directed too. It, it isn't this big swelling orchestra beat leading up to a zoom in on her face where she says, no, you are my people. It's this <laughs> knee jerk gut reaction where she says it without even thinking. That's how Ryan Murphy would have directed this game. Oh, bless right, you, absolutely. Ashley. Bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely accurate. And here's what you missed on The Last of Us. (laughs) (laughs) Then they'd sing about it. Oh my god. Yeah, but just that knee-jerk reaction she has where she doesn't even stop to think about it is, uh, oh, that made me cry. That made me cry so much. Do you guys want to talk about your favorite moments from the game? The things that like you really loved and appreciated or what hit you the hardest? Um, I've been thinking about this for six months. I am so ready for this. (laughs) So Kaya, what, what was your favorite moment? The moment Seattle day one shows up the second time, I lost my shit. I lost (laughs) my shit because like I understood what was happening instantly, but also had no idea what was happening. And that's like, Mm -hmm. that is so unique a storytelling moment, especially for someone who is that asshole you watch TV with, who like is trying to predict everything and get ahead of a story (laughs) um, and just like understand how the mechanics are working because I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. But like, that moment was just like what like i just uh, i think i was playing with my partner and she was like are you okay Um, and the answer was always no always no until the game was over and then i played it again for god's sakes 
Um, so that I feel like Lev was uh, just Lev's entire storyline for me as a highlight. Even just getting to see someone that looked like Lev for me as a small uh, trans mask individual was just like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I have never seen this in this context before. And that was incredibly moving. And just Abby's whole storyline, I just learned to love Abby so much that when like you throw her into circumstances as dire as like the rat king i was genuinely just so scared for her and i was like i know i'm playing you but i feel like i want someone more capable to be playing you so that you don't get hurt (laughs) (laughs) oh man the rat king i was losing it because i knew there was something coming so i was so tense that entire time like just gripping the controller like what is it what is coming what is coming it didn't even occur to me really well because like because the last of us is a weird game when it comes to like quote-unquote like boss fights right yeah. like in the yeah. first game you you have the fight with david as ellie but then prior to that really the only one is that big bloater in the gymnasium and it's mm-hmm. like it's narratively in a weird place we've all had this conversation before i'm not gonna uh it too deeply um, see our first last of us episode it took me by surprise because like i knew something was coming but the something that i thought was coming was like ooh, there's uh two bloaters and a clicker or like i just i thought it would be like a particularly difficult sequence it did not occur to me that there would be a fucking frankenstein's monster of like clickers fused together like coming for me like not in a million years would i have seen that coming and i was just like three corpses in a trench coat (laughs) 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 just trying to get into a movie man just trying to see that R-rated film. Speaking of the new enemies, can we talk about the stalkers for a second? Okay, I fucking hate those stalkers. Fuck can the stalkers. Can I swear? I hate those stalkers. There's no way to talk about the stalkers without swearing. Oh, I fucking hate them. I do not like the stalkers narratively because I feel like they break the rules previously established by the lore. Oh, which rule? Well, there is no version of uh, the metamorphosis through the entire first game where they maintain any level of intelligence. Mm. They see you, they attack you. That is what they do. That is their thing. If they're not attacking you, they're wandering around aimlessly, unaware of the world around them. So the, that's, the, that's the case with the freshly infected, and that's the case with the clickers, that's the case with the bloaters, that's the case with everything. So the idea that there's some weird in-between sequence where they suddenly get that back and have the wherewithal to hide and try to ambush you and stuff like that felt to me disconnected from the rules i hadn't thought of it that way yeah i hadn't thought of it either but like i do wonder where in the sequence of evolution between from runner to clicker to whatever like what makes a stalker happen like what would cause that a particularly stealthy person gets turned like <laughs> this question <laughs> that's it right like it's just where everything else is so clear and easy to understand that for me is like this weird blank spot on the map where i'm like you're gonna need to explain this a little better and they never do they're the rogue of the party yeah i will say from a gameplay mechanic it actually struck fear in a way that the other the other types yes. weren't doing that's why i specified narratively i don't like them but in terms of like a gameplay mechanic I understand why they're there and they added a new level to the gameplay that I think was very much needed because like I mentioned before, every other enemy we've ever seen is just like you either hide from them or they come for you. We needed something to spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's savvy because at this point people like we've played enough with clickers and runners and stuff. And while they're still scary for sure, they, the dread isn't there anymore. Well, especially now that clickers aren't auto kills and we have shivs or a knife that we can stealth kill them with, which we did not have in the first game. Yeah. So we did. Yeah. You're absolutely right. We needed something to take take place of of those from like a fear factor perspective. Boy, did it work. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was terrified. God, that workbench moment. Oh, God. Oh, the workbench. Fuck the workbench moment. Fuck that. <laughs> I have trust issues. I missed that on my first run. You didn't go to the workbench? I, I accidentally missed that room. Like, I didn't climb up into that <gasps> second floor, so I missed it oh. the first time. So when I went through the second time, I had no idea it was coming. <laughs> 
So they actually managed to get a jump scare out of me the second run. That's perfect. That's great. It was so good. And I was so angry (laughs) in the best possible way. But I was like, oh, fuck, you can't do that to me, man. Uh, Ashley, do you have any uh, favorite moments or did we just cover them all in the past five minutes? Uh, Most of my favorite moments have been covered already. But I will say. Okay. A lot of people, when they finished this game, they were like, what was your giraffe moment? Mm, Okay. Right? That's a conversation that I've heard from a lot of people. And almost universally, it's the museum. Almost everybody says the dinosaur museum. Yeah. And that's not my giraffe moment. Really? My giraffe moment is much smaller. It happens much later in the game. It is with Abby and Yara in the aquarium where we open a door and Yara is scared shitless because Alice barks at her and Abby's like, it's okay. Alice isn't going to bite you. And Alice brings over the toy and you just have this moment where you throw the toy with Alice a couple times. And then Alice grabs the toy and brings it over to Yara Mm -hmm. and puts it at Yara's feet. And there's just this moment where this poor woman has just had like life altering surgery. Her brother is missing. The world could not be worse. And a dog shows up to bring her a moment of joy. And Mm -hmm. I would have stayed there forever if I could have mm-hmm. um, when they give you the opportunity to, to play fetch with the first dog in the stadium, I spend entirely too much time there. Me too. Partly because like I'm a sucker for animals and I'm, that's just who I am as a human being. But also, especially the second time I played it, I was like, this is an oasis. Yeah. I know what's coming. And if I can give you just another minute of just pure unadulterated joy, I want to give that to you. And then we get that moment with Yara where she learns that dogs can be friendly and the world is maybe not an exclusively terrible place. And I just I play that whole sequence with tears in my eyes. And then she's the one that's like, we should really go look for love. And I was like, don't you want to throw it one more time, though? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> And like, could there be a better metaphor for the game, too? Yeah, And that's why when people uh, say the game is super depressing, it's exactly moments like that, Ashley, that I'm like, I don't think it is. I think it's actually really optimistic in a lot of ways. So you know how people are monsters? Mm, Yep. In that scene with the dog in the stadium, you can throw the ball over the fence. No. And the dog will just sit at the fence and watch the ball and wait for you to bring it back. I'm so mad at you for telling me that. I've I've played through The Last of Us 2 twice, and that is the most tragic thing I've heard about this game. I completely agree. (laughs) Who would do that? Who would think to do that to a poor, lovely puppy? The dogs are the real suffering heroes of this game. I think we can agree. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. It almost, it makes me think of, like, how we weaponize not just dogs, but, like, things of joy, and we weaponize these beautiful things to make people afraid of them. Like this is really probably a stretch for most people, but what goes in my mind is like, I think about this is heavy, but the predator drones being used in the middle East and that one boy who said he was afraid of clear skies Mm -hmm. because of the fact that it meant that it would bring bombs. Like that's what I thought about when I thought about Yara being afraid of a dog. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, That makes perfect sense. Matt, what was your favorite moment? The farmhouse moment when Ellie leaves again. Dina in that moment is so heartbreaking because everyone has had that moment with someone they love who is being self-destructive and you know there's nothing you can say to change their mind. They're being ruled by emotion and so you just have to watch it happen and say, here's my line. I know you're about to cross it, but please don't. Like that... That was heartbreak. And the fact that it wasn't even like a big shouting match. She even like is clearly aware of what Ellie is doing, watching her do it and being like, why don't you just come back to bed? Mm-hmm. Like, just just come back to bed. Like, it's this soft, sad. Ugh. Just trying to diffuse it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And as much as I'm usually disinterested in game tech and the motion capture of it all and everything. Moments like those are only made possible by animators working super hard on capturing eye movements and eye lines and stuff. And 
you couldn't write that scene and have it land like that without the technology that we've got now. Mm -hmm. There's a level of theatricality that earlier games required because people had to speak with their bodies very much in the same way that like theater has to be really elevated. Yeah. And so like realistic voice acting, realistic, like performance acting was not really in the cards in like, say like an early PlayStation game because you couldn't get the emotion across in in a human being's face. So like this very much is kind of like that marriage of like technology and storytelling ambitious and kind of catching up with each other in the right moment. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of um, Ellie leaving Dina, Matt, do you want to go over the the little theory we came across? Share it with them, see what they think. Oh, yes. So early in the game, Dina gives Ellie a bracelet. Someone had done a bunch of research on its significance to I think it was Israeli culture. And back at the farmhouse, Ellie no longer has it on after this big time jump. But in the very last scene, when Ellie comes back after not having it in Santa Barbara, you can see on the opposite hand that isn't missing fingers, the bracelet is there again. Which implies that she and Dina have talked since she spared Abby's life and are trying to work things out. Oof. Interesting. Very interesting. It could just be a mistake about character models and costumes. but it feels I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake to have it back there. Definitely but it's, not. I find, I find the, the meaning that, you've, that you're assigning to it is very intriguing. Yeah, I think what I would interpret from that is her intention to go find Dina. Oh, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, we don't know if she returned it to Dina or just kept it with her. That's true. But the significance of wearing it is still important, of choosing to wear it after Absolutely. Not oh, wearing no it question. for all this time. I, I, in yeah. a game this detailed, I hesitate to believe for a second that there were uh, accidents that significant. Yeah. yeah. And especially because the opening shot of that scene is a close-up on the opposite hand that then pulls out slowly to reveal Ellie at the farmhouse. So they've got you thinking about hands. They're framed at waist height. They're drawing as much attention to it as you can without doing a close-up on that hand. Yeah, Yeah. they spared a lot of thought for imagery and themes and repeated motifs. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's no way that would have been overlooked. Well, I think the ending is a good place to end. Uh, So I think we're going to call it here (laughs) for now. Before we go, I do have to ask that age-old question. Uh, Hey, Kaya, what you playing? Um, At the moment, I am playing uh, Hades, which is uh, a rip-roaring good time. Um, Thoroughly enjoying it. Obviously, I'm not the only person who is uh, loving it. So go check it out. It's really great. And I'm about to play Breath of the Wild starting next week. I'm stoked. It's a perfect pandemic game. (laughs) And once you're done, you can go listen to the Rainbow Road episode on the Zelda series and why we love it. Yes, Um. I have been avoiding it specifically. Specifically for this reason. <laughs> uh, hey, Ashley, what's your plan? I am playing Max Payne, the original game on Xbox. I am playing Bloodborne on PS4. And I'm about to start playing uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Yes! We're so hyped. We're so hyped. Yeah, we are, we're super excited because um, Matt and I have just been playing through the two of them. We finished the first one. Matt was thrilled with the first one. I have one. never played the second one, and I intend on making that one of my next pickups. Yes! Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Once you finish KOTOR 1, you won't have a choice. You will just go out and buy KOTOR 2. <laughs> if you're if you're going to play it on PC, I would also recommend picking up the restored content mod because the game oh, was no, I'm shipped... playing it on Xbox, baby. I'm, pl- I'm playing it. Uh, I'm playing it on, on shiny plastic discs the way the Lord intended. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Matt, what you playing? Well, you kind of buried the lead on this one, but I've been playing KOTOR 2, partially in prep to get me hyped for the new possible KOTOR game coming from an unknown studio. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Exciting. There have been rumors, and I have been watching them intently. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. I'm so glad we got the same cast back for for Last of Us 2, even though Mike couldn't be here. Um, Ashley, uh, where can we find you? I am at Ashley Versus on Twitter and Twitch. Awesome. Kaya, is there anything that you want to plug before we go? Um, yeah, I have a show uh, that is happening on Bad Dog Theater or Bad Dog Comedy TV, rather, um, called Stargaze. It's a like retro sci-fi pastiche improv show uh, online that we you know put right into your living room. So come check it out. It's on Monday nights at Bad Dog Comedy TV. Awesome. 
Well, thank you very much, everyone. This has been Rainbow Road. If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod or get in touch with us for future episodes at rainbowroadpodcast at gmail.com. And a big thank you to all of our guests today and our producer, Matt Kinnar. Thanks for listening to Rainbow Road. Okay, um, if, we, if we're good, let's get started. Let's roll on this. I am recording. Speeding. Recording. Why did you say that like a Dalek? I am too recording. I don't know. Some sometimes I just like to mix things up, Ashley. Keep it fresh. That's right. You don't know. I I need people to constantly know uh, that I may not be human. You know. <laughs> That's fair. Keeps them on their toes. <laughs> I respect that. Oh, they don't underestimate me. In media, all non-binary characters are either aliens or robots, and Kaya needs <laughs> feels the need to you know live up to that stereotype. <laughs> yeah, because. As we all know, what trans people need is to be considered not human. That's definitely (laughs) helpful to all of us. Please don't put that in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I will find a way to work it in now just because you said that. Please, I would really rather if you did not include that. (laughs) I I won't. won't. (laughs) No, you can. It's fine. Most of the digital green room stuff gets chopped anyway because it doesn't have like a nice flow in. I'm all about the flow. Yeah, and trust me, there will be enough talking about this this game that you will run out of time. Yep. That's we the have plan. a lot to say. I have feelings. <laughs> Is that what they taught you in acting school? To walk on stage and just go, I have feelings. <laughs> yes. You can't yes. just announce what your characters are feeling. That makes me angry. Yeah. No, no, you don't you don't announce the feelings. You just announce that there are in fact feelings. feelings. Yes. <laughs> I have feelings, but I'm going to emote what they are. Oh. It will be such emoting. I love that two seconds ago Ashley was saying you sounded like a Dalek and so you felt the need to be human, so you walked in and said, I have feelings. <laughs> I have feelings. I'm doing it, right? I'm being a human. You're doing great, sweetie. Okay. Here we go. Starting in three, two, one.